Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Encero, Senior Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. Last year, Walters Kluwer Health surveyed nearly 2,000 doctors, nurses, consumers, and hospital executives about their attitudes towards healthcare during this presidential election year. The survey, called Mending Healthcare in America 2020, Consumers and Cost, showed alignment and deep divisions among patients and providers, with issues around transparency, cost, and care variability causing concern. These issues are top of mind for 73% of Americans when they vote in the 2020 presidential election, now just 11 months away. On this episode of Manage Carecast, we speak with Peter Bonus, the Chief Medical Officer, Clinical Effectiveness, Walter Kluwer's Health, about the survey. Dr. Bonus, thank you for joining us today on Managed Carecast. I'm very happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit why Walters Kluwer commissioned this survey that we're talking about here today called Mending Healthcare in America 2020, Consumers Plus Cost? Is this something that your company does every year? No. uh, We were interested in better understanding various perspectives on breakdowns in the healthcare system, cost transparency, and care variability. We think the data can be useful to various stakeholders uh, in the healthcare ecosystem. So this is the first time this type of survey has ever been done? That's right. We haven't done this before. What are some of the findings that you found through talking to the respondents? And can you also tell me how many respondents there were and where they came from? Sure. So there were uh, nearly 2,000 responses. About half of them were consumers older than 18. Uh, There were uh, about 600 physicians and nurses in total, and the others were hospital executives. And what were some of the things that they told you? There was a a lot more in common than, uh, than there were differences. So most of the respondents saw substantial variation in cost of care and variation in how care was delivered. Uh, We found that non-adherence to drugs and treatment recommendations was common, which recapitulated findings from many earlier studies. About half of the respondents uh, reported that they didn't fill their prescriptions because of costs and or they didn't take their drugs as prescribed. All groups confirmed the lack of transparency and pricing of healthcare services and uh, pointed to the challenges and alignment of healthcare services. There there were some interesting differences, though, among the different responding groups. When we asked uh, about progress in healthcare delivery in the last decade, the hospital executives tended to be a bit more optimistic than nurses and doctors. 73% of the executives reported that healthcare delivery was better compared to only 53% and 40% of the doctors and nurses, respectively. We also found uh, interesting differences in some of the age cohorts, particularly between millennials and boomers. So millennials were much more likely than the boomers to know costs of care in advance, 55% versus 41% to the boomers. And they were more likely not to go forward to the medical treatment because of cost, 61 versus 31%. What accounted for that large difference in opinion between millennials and boomers? Well, it's not that surprising. So millennials are graduating with more debt than any prior generation. They're more likely to defer home buying and childbearing. They're pessimistic about their economic future, and they're more likely to forego health insurance. They have lower brand loyalty, and they have lower opinions of major institutions. They're also 
very savvy users of technology. They're the first generation to grow up with the internet. So they're skilled at gathering information and comparing options. So for, for this generation now, adults raised in an app world, the idea of having to call, make an appointment, wait potentially several weeks for it, take half a day off from work, pay large and unpredictable fees, and not have transparency around their options just seems primitive and unacceptable. There is another factor compared to the boomers is that they're younger, so their illnesses tend to be less severe and maybe less chronic, so perhaps it makes it easier for them simply to defer care. I've read that that's one of the factors in the rise of things like minute clinics and large pharmacy chains because you can walk in without an appointment, see a nurse practitioner, and they have millennials that is don't have as much loyalty anymore to family doctors or internal physicians. Do you think that's yes, really it's, well? Yes, it's, it's very much so. It's, it's a new model of consumer-friendly care where there's transparency and there's convenience and, and there's broad use of technology. So uh, fortunately, that's being driven by consumer demand. It's not a matter of policy. It's just what the market is actually asking for now. What do you think that means, though, for value-based care when patients, half of them, say, are not taking their medications due to cost or skipping care due to cost or don't have a regular, consistent provider and are visiting clinicians based on maybe convenience and there's no continuity of care? Excellent questions, and it should be of great concern. It, 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 of course, means we must do better because that's going to be harmful to all of us, and it also has substantial economic costs. So as you point out, the, the lack of adherence is not just with medications. It's also adherence with recommended care. Our survey underscores the significant effect that high costs and lack of transparency can have because it can exacerbate what is already a known and troubling problem from patients simply dropping out from, from healthcare. So again, not a new problem. If we go back 15 years uh, in a study that was published in 2005, 40% of patients didn't adhere to their doctor's uh, recommendations. In 2018, that was 30 to 50% of medications were not taken. And then in a study around the same time, that lack of adherence was attributed to cause 125,000 deaths per year and accounting for 10% of hospitalizations and $300 billion per year. So the new survey data suggests that if anything, the problem's just getting worse. And let's look at this from the lens of public health. So we, this is taking place and we don't understand the magnitude of the problem for harming public health. So our public health system aims to prevent untoward outcomes so we do all sorts of things like screening, surveillance for cancer, prenatal care, vaccinations. Uh, we try to do risk factor mitigation. All of these things are at risk if we have an increasing swath of the population simply opting out because they're frustrated or because the costs are too high and not transparent. I don't want to draw the, the connections too much here, but we have seen a startling reversal of gains in life expectancy since 2014. And whether any of these factors have a role in that, in that decline is, is simply unknown at this point. That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. But I think it's the fourth year in a row now life expectancy in the United States has fallen. That's right. It came out last month. Another question I want to ask is, earlier in the podcast, you mentioned, I think, that hospital executives are more optimistic than physicians and nurses. Do I have that right? I think they view that the administration of healthcare services was better than it was a decade ago, whereas frontline, the doctors and nurses, didn't feel so strongly that that was the case. In fact, most of them did not feel that was the case. They thought things were perhaps a bit worse. 
We just discussed how people are foregoing care and not being adherent for various reasons. And I just find that so misaligned. And I think somewhere else in the survey, you talked about the misalignment between what consumers wanted from hospitals and what hospitals thought were the main priority when it came to holding the line on medication costs. Is that another example of a misalignment between what consumers want and what hospital executives are thinking? Well, maybe, but I think we have to examine a bit of how the survey was actually conducted. So 40% of consumers thought that hospitals should deal with medication costs as a top priority, and only 13% of the hospital executives thought the same. Let's look at this in context. So the top concerns for hospital executives in that battery of questions included keeping care teams aligned using contemporary clinical guidance, delivering effective care, keeping up with technology such as artificial intelligence, increasing productivity of clinicians, and of course, responding to changing consumer demands. So the difference between the consumers and the hospital executives on this priority is likely just reflects their different perspectives rather than that the hospital executives aren't concerned about consumer medication costs. So if you're a hospital executive, you're facing tremendous challenges in continuing to deliver high quality care, and at the same time, you're having increasing margin compression. So consumer costs are important, but when we ask the question, we're asking for the top three priorities and it didn't rank among them. Now, from a consumer lens, completely different perspective. Consumers have unprecedented cost shifting, which has been taking place, and drug costs are part of it. So looking at that for commercial insurance, so employer-based insurance, the average family premium for employer-based sponsored health in 19 was about $20,000, $20,577 per year. About 6,000 of that's contributed to workers. In the last decade, the average premiums increased by 54% and workers' contributions increased by 71%. That outpaces increases in wages, which was at 26%, and inflation at 20%. And most covered workers, 82% of them, had deductibles. The average deductible in 19 was $1,573, which is nearly double of what it was a decade ago. So this is huge consumer cost shifting and is not surprising at all that cost sensitivity is top of mind for all of us who are struggling through the healthcare system. That makes total sense and thank you for clearing that up. You also found in the survey, I think, that there was a difference in care depending on where one lives you called it suboptimal treatment. Can you explain more about that? Yes, yes. So 43% of the respondents reported that suboptimal treatment can occur depending on where they lived, and they're right. So this suggests that there's broad general awareness of this matter of unwanted care variability. Healthcare variability is global, it's persistent, and it's harmful. It's been well-documented for more than 50 years but we haven't cracked it yet with scalable approaches. It's a challenge, but there's a huge potential for us to benefit from reduced care variability. It can lead to better care for all of us and lower costs for all of us. We know that the choices of medical services and their costs differ across providers, healthcare settings, and geographies, even within one institution. Care variation can look like lots of different things. It can look like overutilization, underutilization, and misutilization all of which represent less than optimal care. Now, for a consumer and even for healthcare professionals, it's very difficult to understand directly if care is suboptimal, in part because it's hard to compare the outcomes of the healthcare service options. 
We just don't have the data available. And when they are available, they're seldom directly comparable. This is because it's, it's a hard problem. Measurement of healthcare outcomes is complicated. It depends on the type of service, the time horizons that we're looking at, the availability of validated outcome measures, such as patient reported outcomes. Let's just give an example. In, in a study done by uh, Blue Cross, they looked at the costs of knee replacement surgery in various centers across the United States. So taking an example here in Massachusetts, the cost of a total knee replacement in two hospital systems, which are really just miles apart, range from just over $18,000 to uh, just about over $50,000. So if you're a consumer looking at that, even if you are aware of the differences in costs, how are you supposed to assess whether or not that $18,000 knee replacement is as good as that $50,000 knee replacement? And in fact, if you're not directly paying, you may just think that the more expensive one is a better one, so you may opt for that. So that's a relatively straightforward example. It's a knee replacement where at least some of the outcomes are can be understood. But now, now map that to much more complicated conditions and chronic diseases such as cancer care. Really a very, very hard problem knowing that the care may in fact be different, but you really can't assess the outcomes of those differences. I think there's an organization called the Healthcare Cost Institute that has done a lot of work looking at variability in price of services across the U.S. And it sounds like the knee example is one example, very similar to what a service would cost in one place versus another place, but not knowing what the outcomes are. Yes, that, that, is, that is right. And in, in an ideal world, we would be able to have uh, be able to compare outcomes. But even in a more ideal world, these outcomes would be assured to be very similar. So no matter where you go, you can be assured of having high quality, effective, and contemporary care with favorable outcomes. What else do you want people to know about this survey and what the findings were? I think the survey is very data rich and, and it's available. So there's lots of insights from it, but there's a lot of take-home messages that we can glean from this. One is that care variability is highly prevalent and it's a known phenomena. There are things that can be done about it. So it is something that has been around for a very long time, but we now have technology and we now have other tools that are available to us to start reining it in. We also know that differences in care erode consumer confidence and drive behaviors and care decisions people make. So 78% of consumers are likely to travel past their hospital closest to them to one farther way if they have a better reputation. Beyond the financial impact of variability, those differences in care and cost create risk for the patients in the healthcare system. So 52% of consumers say that the greatest risk is when drugs are prescribed to patients and patients don't fill it because of costs for it. 85% of the entire respondent base is troubled by the inconsistency of uh, handoffs as patients traverse different aspects of the healthcare delivery system. And more optimistically, hospital executives and others, uh, more than 80%, believe that technology can really help here. Artificial intelligence, but other forms of technology might be able to help with, with some of these challenges. Artificial intelligence could maybe reduce some of the care variability. Perhaps. I think our artificial intelligence in healthcare is, is certainly not new and it's growing and it's much talked about. Much of the applications around AI still tend to be 
that the science of it seems to be ahead of the business of it. So most of the AI applications that are being adopted are being adopted because they produce discrete economic value to financial purchases of it. So you're seeing adoption in areas such as revenue capture, but but there's a lot that can also be done to help on clinical care. Some of the early applications, such as in assisting with image interpretation, such as radiology images, and then there's quite a bit of advancement around predictive analytics and being able to mine data sets to understand the patients at risk for certain conditions or to help to optimize the, the care of those patients. So all of these things can help, but there's still challenges in doing this on scale, dealing with the problems of messy data and inserting all of this knowledge into workflow in a way that can be consumed by frontline providers. So very promising, but there's a ways to go. Have the issues of price for consumers affected physician and nurse behavior? Yes. I'm a gastroenterologist, and when I sit in front of a patient, I have to be sensitive to the cost that they're going to endure for anything that I'm recommending. So for for drug costs in an ideal world, I would know what the out-of-pocket expenses are for my patient because if I knew that in advance, I might be able to choose a less expensive option. So those kinds of data are available, but unfortunately, they're not universally available. So it's right now a bit of hit or miss. And I might know from previous patients when I prescribed a certain drug with an uncertain insurance plan that it was a very high copayment and then be able to apply that to subsequent patients. It would be very nice if that type of information was more consistently available in workflow so those decisions can be made up front. The whole matter of cost sensitivity is for providers is that we are champions primarily for our patients, but we also have to be good stewards of the healthcare system. And unfortunately, the, the, the data that are available to help us to adjudicate those decisions, which aren't always aligned, is just incomplete and not always available. Cost sensitivity has to be factored into the equation, and increasingly so, because as we can see from our survey and from many other studies, that if we want people to adhere to our recommendations and and do what we suggest, we have to recognize that cost is a major factor. I would be remiss if I didn't mention another part of your survey that talked about the role of healthcare in the 2020 election. Can you talk about that for a few minutes and what you think will happen? This episode will actually be broadcast in January 2020, so it's perfect timing. Well, hard to go on record knowing what will happen. Obviously, there's been a robust dialogue about healthcare, and I think it's been driven by many of the frustrations that were illuminated in our survey, and then this is rising tide of consumerism, which, is, which isn't going away. You know, core to the debate is healthcare financing, equity in healthcare, and what we can do in Washington to tinker with an already very complex policy ecosystem to make it better to achieve some of the objectives that that are being demanded by the voting population. So we haven't seen a comprehensive health care bill that can fix all of these things. There's lots of dialogue about um, single-payer systems, Medicare for all, which, of course, can be in many different forms. Not clear that that can actually occur for it. So I think time will tell. But my view on this is policy certainly is very important, and certainly the federal government paying for half of healthcare wields a mighty sword here, but it's all of us who are consumers of healthcare and perhaps the generation that's computer savvy, the millennials who are already 
taking matters into their own hand and demanding better care and more consumer-friendly care that are going to drive change at the grassroots level. We're already seeing this, as you mentioned, in retail health and with new care delivery models. That's compelling investment in traditional healthcare systems to deliver more effective, consumer-friendly, and transparent care. So I think those two things are going to occur. How this is going to look after the election and how this is going to look in policy, hard to know. Well, thank you for that. I know that in the survey it said it, it seems that healthcare will be at the top of a lot of voters' minds. I think it said 78% of respondents said they would vote for someone who responded the most to rising premiums and high deductibles. But it seems like you're saying maybe that would be driven as well by the consumer issue and consumer demand forcing change. Right. So consumers, all of us, have made it very clear that we want this to change. We demand it to change. But that has to get translated into healthcare policy that can achieve that objective. And, And that's the difficult task. Is there anything else you want to say that I forgot to ask? No, I I very much appreciated your thoughtful review of the survey and your excellent questions. I'm very happy to chat about it. I think the survey will be available to those who are interested in taking a deeper dive to it, and we hope that it can be useful to all of your listeners. Thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.